Welcome back to The Wrong Opinion, useless NBA trivia and garbage rankings. If this is your first time, make sure to check out the season one trailer. We're going to hop right into talking about the New York Knicks. Now, historically, I think they're considered one of the awesome franchises, and they're just kind of not. We're in this section right now. It's titled A Few Sustained Runs. So better than the teams that are just in a single era, better than the teams with no titles, better than the teams that haven't made a finals. And there are uh, there's six teams here, and you can make an argument for the Knicks over a couple of these, but there's just a lot of down, down years. Let's hop into to their team's history. They entered the league in 46 as part of the BAA. That was a three-year run. Uh, they're about 500 most of the time there. In fact, they made the finals, or they made the playoffs the first 10 years. Young guys like Henry Gallatin, Kenny Sears, uh, Willie Knowles, eventually Richie Guerin came into town. And for the most part, I want to ignore the early days of basketball, basically until, you, I, I think like Bill, when Bill Russell entered the league, that's when it really became modern. Although I will have a couple of those guys on this list, partly just for aesthetic purposes. Uh, but they made three straight finals in 51 to 53, uh, lost all three. In the mid 60s, they were a little bit tumultuous. They had a couple good players, uh, but eventually they got Willie Re Willie Willis Reed. By 1970, they put up a, a franchise high 60 wins in an awesome, awesome finals. Uh, but that was just that 70 team was one of the best teams of all time. Uh, they had Walt Frazier, they had Dave, Dave DeBusher over from Detroit, Bill Bradley, and then they got Earl Monroe for that second title. We talked to him a little bit with the, uh, the Wizards Bullets. Now, Reed played all the way through 75, didn't actually play that last season, but he was still with the team. And as soon as he retired, they, they were just nowhere near as productive. Just having, that's why I think Willis Reed is one of the underrated greats. He was just a born winner. The teams won when he was there. His stats don't always back it up, but he won. You know, that's that's the key to basketball. How can you raise your team to be better? They took a chance on Bob McAdoo. That didn't work out. Uh, kind of reminiscent of about 12 years earlier when they took a chance on Walt Bellamy. That didn't really work out. I do love Walt Bellamy. They had 50 wins in 1981. That was a nice little season. Lost in the first round, 0-2. What a weird time for basketball. They had Bill Cartwright and Michael Ray Richardson, a couple really important names that are definitely gonna be making this list. But 85, 84 and 85 is when it got really good. 84 was the year of Bernard King. He took him to 47 wins, but he became an icon. And then King was better in 85, only played half the season though, and the team just sucked, 24 wins. But those 24 wins allowed them the right to draft Patrick Ewing. He didn't make the playoffs for the first couple years. Uh, coming out of Georgetown, he was supposed to be this awesome defensive player. His legs were kind of gone after those first four years. He was never really the defensive might that you thought, but he still was amazing. He was still great defensively, still amazing offensively. Uh, and took his team to the playoffs every year from 88 all the way until the end of his time with the, with the Knicks. They made the finals in 94, and then again in 99. That 99 team is really, really interesting. You probably heard that a lot this last year because the Heat became the second team as an eight seed to make the finals. The Knicks were the first in 99, and that's, that's with Patrick Ewing getting hurt early in the playoffs. I think it was the second round. But Latrell Sprewell, young Marcus Camby, Allen Houston, they all stepped up, and they made the playoffs every year until 2001, and then the next decade, not so bright. They put their hope in Stephon Marbury. You don't want to put your hope in Stephon Marbury. From 2001 until 2011, they made the playoffs once, and they were a below 500 team. Isaiah Thomas is in the running for the worst GM of all time. He's also a coach for a couple years there. He just kept doing this thing where he would package expiring contracts because he knew they were in despair. So he packaged them into two, get another expiring. He just loved the value of expiring contracts, which, yeah, I mean, 
expiring contracts are valuable, but not when everybody on your team is a underperforming, highly paid expiring contract, whatever. Summer 2010, massive free agency with LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Carlos Boozer, got him out for thought, but then Amari Stoudemire. He joined the Knicks in 2010, they traded for Melo that same year, and it didn't work out. We'll talk about why it didn't work out later, but the Nuggets were better after trading away their best player. Now 2013, Amari Stoudemire was hurt, Melo was having an all-time season, 54 wins second round exit. Then after years of terrible play, 17 win season in there, two 17 win seasons, they ended up getting a revived Julius Randle, who's been by all accounts one of the worst playoff performers of all time. But now with Jalen Brunson, a 47 win season last year, they might have something special. They might have something. I'm not saying they're gonna win the title, but they're gonna make some noise. Let's get to the rankings. We went long on that. First team point guard, Walt Frazier. Nickname was Clyde, the original Clyde before Drexler. Played 13 years, 10 of them with the Knicks, drafted in 67. That's the first year the Knicks made the playoffs over the past decade. So while Willis Reed is given a lot of the credit for reviving that franchise, Walt Frazier is arguably as good as him. Probably the best defensive point guard ever. I would put him over Gary Payton. I would put him over Kid and Stockton. I'd probably put him over Chris Paul. He's good for 17 to 21 points a game throughout his entire career. Peaked at 23 in 72. Of course, he won the finals in 1970 and 1973. He's also the uh, 75 All-Star MVP, as if that matters. Looking at you, Glenn Rice. But has dominated the all-defensive team from 67 all the way to 75. First team, all-defense every single year. Throw in a couple all-NBA first teams. Four to be exact, and I think he's one of the most underrated point guards of all time. He's clearly in the top 10 of best point guards of all time. And among Knicks players, it's not even close. He's still their all-time leader in assists. He'd probably be their all-time leader in steals too, but he uh, but he only had four Knicks seasons in which they counted steals. But in one of those seasons, 2.4 a game at 29 years old. So yeah, he, he'd probably be their all-time steals leader. First team shooting guard, 20 bucks if you've ever heard this guy's name, Richie Guerin. I have his jersey, one of my favorite New York guys of all time. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. Richie Gurin. He had a 14 year career, seven and a half years with the Knicks. He made six All-Star games while there. He peaked in 72, 29.5 points per game, along with seven assists, six boards, and yet the team sucked, 29.51. I'm usually pretty anti-empty calorie stats and definitely anti-empty calorie stats in the 50s and 60s. I think there's one guy who people are gonna definitely argue with me should be over him, but I just think it's Gary. I think he, uh, he's got a nice highlight reel, which if you go back to the 50s and 60s, Kuzi's definitely the first guy with a fun highlight reel. I think Garen's the second. He was all NBA second team three times. And if you want to talk about inflated stats right now, you got nothing on the 60s. In 62, when he put up almost 30 a game, that was sixth in the league. He had five guys putting up 30 a game and one guy putting up 50. Can you guess who that is? Now among Knicks players, Garen ranks fifth in assists and he's sixth in points. One of only seven guys with 10,000 points. I just think there wasn't a lot of parity back then. Uh, the good teams were really good, the bad teams were really bad. That's what happens when you have only probably three guys who knew how to run a team in an eight-team league. So maybe I'm getting deceived by empty stats, or maybe I'm doing that thing where I overvalue older players because we always undervalue them. Uh, but I'm going with Guerin. First team shooting guard might be doing that same exact thing here with Barnard King. Now he was only in New York for five years. He missed an entire one of those seasons. But during that time, 26.5 points per game for 206 games. In 85, he led the league with 
32.9 points per game. So the longevity wasn't there compared to the guy on our second team. Uh, the playoff success, he made the playoffs three times, second round in 84. But in that 84 second round, let's not act like he just got blown out. He went to seven games against the Boston Celtics. The 84 Boston Celtics, one of the greatest teams of all time. I think 84 through 86, maybe even 87 Celtics, might be in the argument for best team of all time. In that series, 29.1 on that massive front line. Now he played a lot like Melo. Melo had more threes, but King would if he played in the in the 2010s. But just a relentless, relentless score. High, high percentage. It's 52% for his career. A guy from Brooklyn playing in Manhattan. That's a cool story. I'm going Charles Oakley. That's three in a row. That totally could have been different guys. But I'm going Charles Oakley. 10 years with the Knicks. Averaged a 10 and 10. Third all-time in Knicks rebounds. And he's an all-star in 94. Not necessarily an offensive threat, but just that gritty, big, strong, big man that you really needed, especially in the 90s. You have a talented scoring center and then just a great and grind power forward. Just look at the 2013 Grizzlies, who, you know, came 20 years later. And after that, style was no longer in play. He was on Chicago with Jordan, traded in 88 for Bill Cartwright because the Bulls had another power forward and the Knicks had another center. So it kind of worked out for everybody. Now, he was on that 94 team that made it to the finals. 13 points, 12 rebounds in 40 minutes a game over a 25, 25 game playoff. That's long, man. And he wasn't on that 99 team because he got traded to the Raptors for Marcus Camby. Marcus Camby, of course, ended up stepping up when Ewing went down and it worked out for everybody. First team center, I think this one is clear, but people are still gonna argue with me on this. It's Willis Reed. It is Willis Reed, y'all. He played 10 seasons, basically missed two entire seasons, eight years. In that time, 18.7 points, 12.9 rebounds. And if you're a basketball nerd that likes, that gets inspired by stupid videos, check out the Here Comes Willis. That was game seven of the 1970 finals. Jerry West and the Lakers were looking for their first title in so, so many appearances. And the fairly young Knicks, most of the guys were in their in their mid-20s, pushing them a seven. Willis Reed gets hurt, drags that lifeless foot onto the court, hits a couple jumpers, named finals MVP. For those playoffs, he averaged 23.7 points, 13.8 rebounds. And just in the finals, 23 and 10. His regular season stats are underwhelming, but the playoffs are where it matters. I don't think I don't think a lesser player having better playoff success makes you better than a guy with awesome stats necessarily. I just think the playoffs are quite important as any given regular season. So for an entire season, your regular season success is a third of your legacy. Playoffs are two thirds. 11th all-time rebounds per game in NBA history. Only played 650 games in his career. Not a lot. So that's our first team, Walt Frazier, Richie Guerin, Bernard King, Charles Oakley, Willis Reed. Second team, point guard, Mark Jackson. I put him on the second team for uh, Pacers too, sorry Mark. He played his first five years with New York and then came all the way back in 2001 to be coached by Jeff Van Gundy. Just got fired, RIP Jeff. As a rookie, 14 points, 11 assists. That's like Andre Miller. He's like the original Andre Miller. Just a lot of assists and didn't do much else. And I respect that. He made a living doing something, you know, important to a team, but not the most rounded guy. 
33% from the three. Started taking more as he got older, so that's pretty cool. Hit his free throws, didn't get a lot of rebounds, didn't score a lot. Peaked his second year with 17 a game and never came close after that. Now he's, he made the playoffs in six of the seven years he played with the Knicks. And you up being second all-time in total Knicks assists. So that's pretty cool. And in NBA history, one of only a handful of guys in the uh, 10,000 assist club, sixth all-time in assists with 10-3-3-4. First, uh, second team shooting guard, Earl Monroe. I shafted him on the Wizards too. I just don't think that he was necessarily the most important player on those Knicks teams. He was probably like the fourth most important guy because his stats were so high with Baltimore. He came to the Knicks and they just shot down. And I respect how important he is to NBA history and basketball history, especially on the blacktop. But with the Knicks, nine seasons, 16 points, three and a half assists. You know, that's good. He was a very good player. He's a Hall of Famer. I don't doubt that because he was the third or fourth best player on two championship teams. Actually one championship team because he came mid-season in 70, uh, 71, 72. He was never all NBA with the uh, with the Knicks. Couple all-star games. It doesn't rank high in any of their uh, career statistics. But as a legacy guy, oof, just amazing to watch. The original magic. White guys wanna call him the Pearl. Second team small forward, Carmelo Anthony. Now you can say he can be first team over Bernard King and I wouldn't fight you. They both have a scoring title. Uh, Bernard's was 33 a game. Carmelo's was 28.7. But also you gotta kind of factor in the difference in time. You know, 2013 was a really, really low scoring year. Neither were particularly rounded. Bernard might've been a little bit better in that department, but I don't know, not much. Milo, negligible defender, doesn't pass. He put up 61 time without getting a single assist. Got a couple rebounds because he was fairly big and strong, which is a lot different from his time in uh, Denver, which is kind of funny. When he was with Denver, he was this skinny 2-3 guy. And then by 2012, 2013, he was thicker. He, he became like a small forward power forward. He's listed as a power forward for a couple of those seasons. And he played way longer than Bernard King with the Knicks. And you can talk about more success. There's not more success. They both made the playoffs three times, made a second round. I put Bernard because he was more important for the legacy of the Knicks. Maybe if the uh, if Melo had taken the LeBron James heat to seven, I don't know, maybe it bumps him. Uh, but I don't want this to be anti-Melo because I've always been pro Melo. I think just because he's not a guy who can lead a team to a finals doesn't mean he sucks. A lot of guys can't do that. I think he's better off as a number two guy, which I think was the idea with Amari, but then they're just two of the same players. Melo as a four type and Amari as a big type, but they're both mid-range driving guys who don't really defend or bring anything else to the table. It just was not a good match. But in Knicks history, first off, in NBA history, Melo is ninth all-time in scoring, just about 1,800 shy of 30,000. In Knicks history, seventh, 107 guys with 10,000 points. I think I said six earlier, it's definitely seven. Second team power forward. Another guy you could definitely say was first team. Dave DeBusher, 13 year NBA career, five and a half years with the Knicks. Was on both title teams. A tenacious rebounder, 11 rebounds a game for his career and with his Knicks career at only six foot six. He was an incredible shooter. He deserved a three point line. He would have been probably the prototype of big man shooters, even though he's only six six. Honestly, if he's playing today, you probably consider him a different position because he was a lockdown defender as well. Didn't get, a, get, didn't get a lot of assists, but a great spot-up shooter, great rebounder, and incredible, incredible defender. Defensive highlights aren't always awesome, but you need to check his out. Smart defensive plays are incredibly underrated as highlights. He made all defensive team every year since it was created in 69, all the way to his retirement in 74. First team all defense. His last six years in the NBA, five of which were with the Knicks. He died pretty young in 2003, which is just strange. It's like if Draymond Green died young. Really, it's like when Kobe died young. It's like, that's one guy 
don't expect to die young. A little bit devastating. Second team, center. People are complaining he should have been first team, but he is not. Patrick Ewing, like I said, coming out of Georgetown, supposed to be this incredible defensive player, and he was a great, great swatter, great shot blocker. Peaked at four a game. Never actually led the league in blocks, despite averaging 2.7 for his 15 years with the Knicks. But you're playing against Matumbo and uh, in Hakeem Olajuwon, so you know he was a guy that should have left after his freshman year at college. Just defensively, looking at his Georgetown highlights versus his Knicks highlights, just not the same. But he was such a savvy offensive scorer, and I think that's where he's so underrated. People consider him this defensive monster, which he was very good defensively, not taken away from that. But he was one of the most skilled offensive scorers the center position has ever seen. And a very good rebounder, uh, maybe not great, but he averaged 10, 10 rebounds a game from 90 all the way to 98, despite playing right beside another great rebounder. Best season came in 1990, first team All-NBA, 28.6 points, 11 rebounds. The team won 45 games. They ended up winning 60 in 93, making the finals in 94. He ended up being the, uh, the beta test of the Patrick Ewing theory when you have a great player who doesn't really succeed with his team, and then he goes down, and then the team does better. But let's, uh, let's not act like that's anything more than a gimmick. One of the greatest centers of all time, he leads the franchise in so many stats. He has almost 300 more games played than anybody in Knicks history almost 10,000 more minutes, 3,500 more field goals than anybody else, 2,000 more free throws, 2,300 more rebounds. He's first in steals, first in blocks. By, he's got 2,758 blocks. Mitchell Robinson is second with 567. And then points not even close, 23,000. Walt Frazier's number two with 14,600. But zero titles and one of the most egregious big man chokers. Took the torch from Elvin Hayes, gave it off to Carl Malone and then Chris Webber. This guy would rather take a, a fadeaway mid shot than take it to the hoop in late games. It's not even the lack of clutch factor, it's being a deer in the headlights in important moments of important games. Now obviously in the 94 finals he was playing against Hakeem Olajuwon, but even so, 19 points a game. The previous three rounds, 22, 23, 25, 19 points a game, shooting 36% from the field. Still took him to seven, so there you go. So that's our second team, Mark Jackson, Earl Monroe, Mello, Dave DeBusher, Dave DeBusher, Patrick Ewing, third team, point guard going, Michael Ray Richardson. Four years with the Knicks to start his career, three All-Star games. In 1980, one of the few guys leading the league in both assists and steals. 10 assists, three steals. A decent score, 15 to 18, shooting 48%. Got a lot of rebounds, about seven a game during his three-year peak with the Knicks kind of throwing out his uh, his rookie year there. Now he was the best player in the 81 team that won 50 games, kind of out of nowhere. And then they didn't revive that for another eight years. Now he was the epitome of a lot of things wrong with the, uh, with the 80s. Talk about this with the Nets if you want to revisit it. But just substance abuse issues got him kicked out of the league. Third team, shooting guard. You could go one guy, old school. I'm going to go Allen Houston. A little bit underrated. Probably the best player on that 99 team that not necessarily almost won the finals, but they went to the finals against Tim Duncan, David Robinson. You go him or Sprewell. After three years in Detroit, he played nine seasons with the Knicks. After an 18.5 points per game, hitting 40% of his threes, making 1.5 a game. That's a lot for that era. Led the league in free throw percentage in 03. That's kind of cool. Uh, didn't pass, didn't rebound, didn't defend, but a lights out shooter. One of the all time, one of the best shooters of that era. When you're looking at uh, the top 25 all time three pointers made, he's not gonna be close just because they're taking so many more. But if he's playing in this era, he's jacking up 12 threes a game. Let's hi highlight those uh, 99 playoffs. He got better and better as the series went on. 
in a gritty five game first round, there's only five games in the first round back then. He only put up 15 points against a tough, tough Miami team that they played, by the way, for four straight years in the playoffs, which just seems unbelievable. Uh, swept the Hawks in 99, 18 a game, beat the Pacers 4-2, 19 a game, and then stepped up, lost in five to San Antonio, but 21.6 points per game. A little deceiving though, because his three-point shooting that entire playoffs was dreadful. Only 17 a game, or only 17% in those finals. Now I think in a lot of universes, he ends up being a, a much, much better player, at least remembered as such, but he's still second all-time three-pointers made for the Knicks. 13 power forward, Bill Bradley. Absolute genius, he was a Rhodes Scholar. Nickname was Dr. Bill, six foot five. Missed his first two years because he was on a Rhodes Scholarship. Played from 67 all the way to 77, 10 year stretch. Only 12 a game, three rebounds, three assists, shot 45%. He ended up uh, as you know a starter on two finals teams. And that's the second overall pick, probably a little bit underwhelming. It was a different time in the draft. That was a territorial pick, so it wasn't necessarily saying he's the second best player, uh, but he went to Princeton, he was in the area. And while there were a lot of tough cuts, uh, the small four position is probably the weakest in franchise history. But still, he ended up being a Hall of Famer almost mostly by uh, the might of his teammates on those 70 and 73 teams. 13 power four, going old school, Harry Gallatin. Another old school Hall of Famer, six foot six, power forward, 210. Little dude. Played from 48 to 58. He played nine years with the Knicks before going to Detroit. Led the league in rebounds in 45, but he was the best player in a team that went to three straight finals. It's pretty good. First team in, 40, in 54, second team in 55. Hands up fourth in total rebounds among Knicks players. And I do not have a lot of Harry Gallatin stories. His nickname was The Horse. He had a very 1950s quote when asked about why he liked sports. He said, competition has always been my cup of tea. All right, old man. Man, reading more into this, just the love he felt coming from a small town in Illinois, going to the Big Apple. It's a nice little story. I encourage you to check it out. Third team center, Bill Cartwright. People remember him with the Bulls. That's where he won three titles, but he was better with the Knicks. Better player, at least he was getting more shots at least. Played six years with the Bulls, eight years with the Knicks. Actually nine, but he missed the 85 season. The same year, Bernard King missed half the season. Kind of a bummer. And then only played two games the following season. So his first five years, he averaged 18 points, eight rebounds a game, including a rookie year in which he put up 22 and nine. And they just couldn't stay on the court for two years. Next couple years were down. Trade to Chicago and, you know, had a nice run with them. He ends up third all-time in blocks among Knicks players. Peaked at 1.5 a game, not a great shot blocker. But a very good post player for the 80s until he got hurt. But that five-year stretch, it's it's pretty un unassailable as the uh, this is the third-best center. Hardest, oh, so that third team, Michael Ray Richardson, Alan Houston, Bill Bradley, Harry Gallatin, Bill Cartwright. Hardest cuts. Charlie Ward was important for that 99 team, but he... Uh, just the stats are, yeah, no, six a game. I don't care if he was Draymond Green defensively, which he was not. Uh, Dick McGuire, really important point guard from the 50s on those uh, three straight uh, finals teams. He also never went above 10, uh, 10 points a game, so no. John Starks, I have never been a fan. He had that one dunk that just blows your mind. Great three-point shooter for the era. Percentages are actually incredibly low, but hit so many, which is, I guess, good for the era. I just don't think he was a winning player. Didn't like his attitude. Never a fan. I'd rather have a steady presence like Alan Houston. I do love the intensity. I love competitive players. Uh, I just like when they back it up and it's not just emotion for the sake of emotion. Dick Barnett, 
an important figure in uh, black NBA history. I really, ooh, I'm considering putting him over Allen Houston. Nine seasons with the Knicks, All-Star in 68. He won on both of those champions. The first one as as a, uh, the first one as a starter before uh, Erlen Rowe came into town. Second one is a benched role player. But 23 game in 66. This is, a, this is a very honorable mention. Man, if Bill Bradley's in the Hall of Fame, Dick Barnett should be in the Hall of Fame. Latrell Sprewell, that fire intensity that John Starks had. Whew, Spree had that in abundance. So he didn't start most of the season during that 99 season, but still ended up the leading scorer in those in those playoffs. It's kind of like Andre Iguodala in uh, 2015, where he had never not started a single game in his career. And then he came off the bench that entire season, and then the playoffs, Back to starter, one finals MVP. But Latrell lost, so doesn't count. Uh, Mari Stoudemire, uh, could have been, should have been. Got hurt. Really sad because he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and I think that second half of his career is going to hurt him. And frankly, if you retired in 2012, I think he's remembered differently because he's surely a Hall of Famer. Uh, not the Knicks, though. Larry Johnson, uh, no. He was better with Charlotte. He had some big playoff moments with the Knicks. But I don't think he's one of the four best players on that 99 team. Anthony Mason had the weird distinction of winning sixth man of the year and then leading the league in minutes the next two seasons. That's very strange. Uh, but during his time with the Knicks, he was mostly a sixth man. So, no. Uh, Carl Braun, one of the early important players on those uh, three final teams I had mentioned. Same thing with Kenny Sears. Uh, but, no, no. I can only do so many old guys before. If they're, like, an... If they're an older player, they have to be an all-time guy, and I think Duran, Gallatin were, and I just don't think Sears and Brown were. If you hate my wrong opinion, tweet me at WrongOpinionNBA. We will be back next week talking about a team that has been decimated with injury after injury throughout their entire franchise. For more NBA content, check out Hooper's Lane on YouTube. I work with that guy. He's a great guy. Some fun videos about modern times, news, rumors, opinions, etc. Until then, peace out.